Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Handley. Episode 41, Drawing on the Positive After Surviving Cancer with Andrea Ross. Hi everyone, welcome back. I hope you're doing well. So we're nearing the end of 2020. So I wanted to first talk about Patreon. I wanted to give a shout out to Mary Rasmussen, who's known as Art Girl Mary on Instagram. I want to thank you for being a patron. I couldn't do it without all of you, so uh, thank you. And uh, I did add the $10 tier, as I talked about in the last podcast, so there are three tiers now. There's a $5, a $10, and a $20. And I've been working on a series of uh, stickers and looking at getting you folks some uh, interesting stuff in the mail, so I'll be spending some time over the next few weeks, and specifically over the uh, holidays, in preparing a little bit of... uh, a package to send out to all of you on a regular basis. I think, uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I would love to get stuff in the mail, so I want to make sure that uh, you get uh, something as well, in addition to just supporting what I'm doing here with the podcast and the uh, expenses in doing that. So once again, I appreciate Art Girl Mary and everybody who has uh, supported the podcast. You're really uh, making a difference. Thank you so much. So one of the other ways you can support the podcast is by rating and reviewing the podcast in Apple iTunes. And I wanted to reach out to Rainbow Lover, who <laughs> submitted a uh, a review, a five-star review. I appreciate that. But more specifically, the message to this individual says, I'm an artist and I've been drawing and painting for years. And I listen to this while I draw. You are amazing. And I think you're very positive with some smiley faces. So thank you so much. I love seeing this stuff. It really makes a huge difference. I mean, in doing this podcast, you do go through points where you're thinking, you know, I'm I'm in a little vacuum here and working on this and, and trying to put it all together. And it's a lot of work. And I just really appreciate seeing these little messages. So one way you can support the podcast is just uh, letting me know how I'm doing. Uh, you can review it, uh, share the podcast, and that allows other people to discover some of these ex- episodes. We're now into 41, and I'm looking to 50. Just love doing this. I think it's great. It's great that it's having an impact on your life and um, and what you're doing and your creativity. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener, and thank you for uh, listening today. So before we get into the interview, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the drawings I've been working on. So I'm still working on the idea of a book. Uh, I really don't have any updates on that, but uh, I will in future. But I really am enthusiastic about putting together a book. <laughs> it was October that kind of brought me to this place. So I am. Uh, I haven't really posted anything about that, but it will come. It will come in due course. I did want to talk about some of the graphite pieces I've been doing so I did do a Morganzer duckling, and I did this in my uh, little moleskin sketchbook. And I wanted to get back to graphite after Inktober. So I, uh, this is a um, actually a duckling that we saved this past spring. It's a hooded Morganzer duckling, and we were able to connect it to a parent eventually. We have duck boxes around the pond, and... They emerge from their eggs, and then they typically launch themselves out of the duck box a day later or so. And sometimes, one of those ducklings can't get out of the box. And normally what we do is when we see this happen, and we see all the ducklings are in the pond, we will go check the duck box to make sure everyone got out. And we did it in this case, but the mother had left with the ducklings at that point, because they immediately disappear in the woods. They don't kind of hang around the pond and eat tadpoles and do whatever they do. They immediately disappear. And that's the challenge with uh, mercansers as opposed to things like mallards. But we were able to help it along. We befriended it for a couple of days, and then we were able to reconnect it with the parents. So we're really quite happy about that. So this drawing is of that duckling uh, sitting on a rock beside the pond. So uh, yeah, it was good to get into playing with graphite again. I had received some new pencils from Pentel Canada. So it's this Orens Nero mechanical pencil. It's a 0.5 millimeter. It came with an HB lead. So the next thing I drew was a blue heron. It was a very quick sketch, but it was with this Orens Nero black mechanical pencil with the HB lead. So it's very, very light. But I thought I'd post that anyways, because I this pencil is supposed to be, you know, you're not supposed to be able to break the lead in it. It's got a, this auto advancing lead feature. 
It seemed to work okay when I was doing that, but I'll talk a little bit more about it uh, as I get into some of these other drawings. So the next one I did was my eye. <laughs> and I've, I've drawn my eye before in Procreate, and I spent about 10-12 hours. That's way back in my feed. But that was a color piece that I did in Procreate. So I decided to try this with the Orens Nero, and I think it turned out okay, to the point that I think I'm going to do some more. <laughs> I'm going to do some more kind of anatomical drawing. I specifically love eyes. I just think, um, whether it's an animal or human, I just love eyes. And so I'm going to spend a bit more time with that and maybe do some other pieces and maybe other eyes as opposed to just mine. And uh, But you know, I've got them <laughs> and it's easy for me to capture an image. So uh, that's why I went with mine. And I did it once again with this Orens Nero. I felt it was more functional than that one. So the auto advancing with the Nero is good, but it's not something you would buy the pencil for because it does take some pressure for it to move that uh, that lead forward. And for me, I just ended up clicking when I needed it because I do draw quite lightly at times. But I did find when I compared the Orens Nero to the Graph Gear 1000, the Orens Nero is a bit shorter and a bit lighter. And I really enjoyed using it. I mean, I love this matte black finish, so that's pulling me into it. But I think functionally, it's. I'm not going to say I drew better with one versus the other, but I do love these Pentel Graph Gear uh, mechanical pencils, and I, I shouldn't say they're Graph Gear. The Graph Gear 1000 is what I normally use with a 2B lead, and this one was the Orens Nero with the um, the 0.5 in it. And I think actually I, I had put a 2B lead in this one in the uh, when I did my eye because the first thing I did when I got the orange near, I realized it was HB lead. I ordered some 2B.5. I didn't have any. I usually had use 0.3. And so I ordered some. And uh, I really love 2B because it gives me the ability to be really light when I need to and dark when I need to. And so I really love the flexibility and just drawing with one lead now. And uh, 2B is my uh, lead of choice. So the last piece I, I worked on was a squirrel. And this was more of a sketch. I really didn't finish it below its uh, kind of belly. But once again, playing with the Orens Nero again. This time, though, I actually ordered a 0.3 millimeter. And I was using the 0.3 with 2B lead and playing with it with this squirrel. And it was great. I think for me, I'm not. I don't know. I'm going to go back to the Graph Gear 1000, just see if I can notice the difference. I may do both in one drawing. But I really like the Orens Nero. I just think it looks really cool. It does have the feature, and I didn't mention this earlier, but. You know, with a mechanical pencil, it usually has like a steel chamber that the lead comes out of. And on a 0.3 or 0.5, it's quite a small piece. And you're worried about bending it when you put it in a pocket or a purse or a, uh, some kind of bag. So with the Orens Nero, you can actually press on the top and push down and it retracts that uh, metal piece. And so it's protected. And so it is a great, I think, pencil if you're walking around, carrying it around, putting it in your pocket or a purse or whatever the case. It's a good way to protect the tip. The Graph Gear 1000 does the same thing. It's a little bit different, but it does the same thing in protecting that tip. So I think that's really great for both of these pencils. So thank you, Pentel Canada, for sending those to me, um, or specifically that one. I still have to test the other Graph Gear. I think it's the Graph Gear 300s, but I haven't done that yet. I will uh, test those and let you know what I think of that as well. So one more thing I wanted to talk about was this... Uh, you know, I, I love these challenges. Inktober's been doing a weekly challenge beyond the, the month of Inktober where you have a word a week. And I think that's been great for people who need that that word or that focus. I wanted to talk about something Procreate is doing. So the Procreate's created this, I guess, this challenge called Procreate with Love. And the intent with this is to create postcards. And there is a so if you're not using Procreate, this doesn't apply and just hang around to the <laughs> till the interview. But if you do have Procreate, Procreate has made a template available for these postcards. And the intent is that you draw something and then you maybe include a little note. And then what you do is you post it on Instagram or whatever, you use the appropriate tags. And you can, in addition, they would ask you to actually print these and mail them to their location. I think it's in Tasmania. And it, I thought it was a really cool idea. I think they're going to be using, I think it's a a prompt per week for eight weeks, and it begins December 2nd. And I think it's a great idea. And the whole intent is that you can either write the, you know, you can form this postcard around where you live. 
or you could do it around someplace you've been or someplace you want to go. So it's quite flexible. And so I, I had looked at some of the initial prompts. I thought it was really captivating. And I thought, you know what? I could do it for where I live. And so I may actually do this. And so if you start seeing these appearing in my feed, that's what it's about. I will include a link in the show notes to Procreate with Love. They actually have a little mini website on the Procreate site to explain what this is. I really think that if you need some of that uh, motivation, especially over the holidays, it's a really cool idea. And I may try doing that in addition to everything else (laughs) that I want to get done. But I thought I would uh, share that with you. And, you know, if you're really stuck for ideas, why not just do something on paper and pencil or, or paint? Like you don't have to necessarily follow these, all these guidelines strictly. They may, the inspiration may lead you into another medium. And so be flexible with that and uh, be kind to yourself and what you can do and what, uh, what you want to take on with the holidays. But I do encourage you to be creative, you know, keep working at your, your craft to keep drawing and painting and I really look forward to uh, to seeing what you're going to create over the next few weeks. So I'm feeling very positive these days, and I think that uh, we can really kind of move this forward. The Discord server is, uh, we've got a few more people that have come on board with uh, the Discord server for the podcast, and people are sharing their work and their journey. So if you want to uh, join us on the Discord server, there is a free level, and then there is a Patreon level that has additional channels. But for the free level, just simply go to drawinginspiration.fm. You'll see a link there on how to join uh, us on the Discord server. If not, you can actually follow the link that's in my profile on Instagram, and you'll see a link there to the Discord server as well. So it's a way for you to join. If you do support the podcast through Patreon, you'll automatically have that opportunity to connect to the uh, Discord server. So I, I hope to see you there. It's kind of a, a nice, small, protected area for us to be able to exchange our art and talk about what we're working on and i'm hopeful it'll grow especially over the holidays when people have a bit more time to sit down and maybe play with some of the stuff they received over the holidays or that they've acquired themselves with the intent of kind of winding down and spending some time not doing what they do uh, during the days during the work weeks so uh, looking forward to that so now let's head into the interview My guest this week was featured in a local news story, and as soon as I read it, I had to reach out and see if she would join me on this podcast. Her story involves perseverance, positivity, pens, and paper, but starts with podcasting. Her world changed when she found out she had cancer, but it didn't stop her. She talks openly about her journey and how finding art, and more specifically drawing, has helped her look forward to the possibilities of tomorrow while reflecting on the joy of yesterday. We don't spend a lot of time talking craft, but her story will inspire you to consider how and why you create. Welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Andrea Ross. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I have to say that when I when I saw the article about you and what you've been doing, I felt I needed to have you on the podcast because you you have had a, an interesting journey and art has been, or drawing has been a strong part of that for the last uh, few years. I, I just thought it was, you know, this is what I like to see. This is what I, I enjoy seeing is people integrating art into their life in a way that's unique and wonderful and positive. And so we'll get to what you've done, but I wanted to maybe talk about where you came from. So we're both in Ottawa for the, <laughs> for the listener right now, maybe on the other side of the world. So we're both actually in the same city, but we're doing it virtually, obviously. Did you grow up in Ottawa, or did you come from elsewhere? No, I grew up in Kingston, but I've spent my entire, I mean, after university, and some of my work terms were in Ottawa, so I just, since I've been an adult, I've been in Ottawa. What education did you achieve through university? What were you focused on? I, I did applied math and computer science at Waterloo. Oh, nice. You know, we'll get to the art that you've done, but were you a creative type? Like, was that something, even back to being a teenager, was creativity part of who you are? Yeah, when we grew when we grew up, we had really creative parents, like creative and everything that comes with that, <laughs> unfortunately. So they did tons and tons of creative, wacky stuff like gardening and caning chairs and sewing and building our house and building everyone else's house and kind of like, if you needed it, you made it, knitting. And it was not like creativity there was not projects we were just kind of like we had access to all the power tools and 
we were just like running free like kids did in the 70s you know and with very with lots of creative creativity everywhere like we never heard that word creativity but you know i guess that's what it was so that's it's always kind of been with you and i think it's impressive as well to to have you go into computer science and mathematics i've got two young daughters and i'm encouraged by stem and all of this and for someone to have gone into computer science, I mean, I'm sure there weren't many women at the time that were in that program. Yeah, no, there weren't. Yeah. I just picked the hardest thing that I thought, I, I was kind of from a screwed up background and zero confidence and zero, I mean, extremely introverted and very unsure of myself. So I just achieved, achieved, achieved. So it was like whatever was hardest, it's kind of like that's, I didn't think about it at all, so that's where I ended up. <laughs> did you enjoy it? Like, did you enjoy computer science and mathematics? I enjoyed aspects of it. I think it was fun. It's that magical feeling, you know, when you can make stuff do stuff. And yeah, I guess the thing was, looking back on it, I was good at it over time, but it's a really, really stressful thing to do when you don't have confidence, right? So like in at the end of everything, I would look back and feel like, whoa, I did that. How, I could never do that again. But during it, there's so much stress that I enjoyed the creating, but I didn't enjoy all that other, all that other stuff that came with it. Right. Well, I mean, it was Nortel, right? Like I started, I did, I came out of school. There were millions and millions of jobs when I came out of school in computer science and I kind of had my pick of anything. And jumped around and everybody wanted me all the time. And then when I ended up at Nortel, everything was crashing and burning all around me and there was no jobs and it was really stressful to stay at Nortel. All, I was at Nortel for um, 12 years of crashing and burning and that was just like a, a horrid, horrid uh, way to live. And so I, it took me like 12 years to find a way out of that. And so, yeah. I liked it better when I did it, just contracting fun kind of on my own stuff afterwards. Well, it's good. Like, did you end up hating the technology and hating your work? Um, or what, did, you, did you separate your work and who you were from that corporate culture? Were you able to keep it separate? Yeah, I think, I think it was just overwhelming to be there. And I think at the end, it was just overwhelming. It's, yeah, I mean, when I came back to, to programming, when I was just doing whatever web development and plug-in building, you know, that kind of stuff. Then I saw, oh, wow, I really do like programming. Like it was, it was kind of a shock to me when I went back to it and I was having fun doing it and I was digging and I was, because you lose perspective when you're in that spin out Nortel thing for so long, right? And when I came back to it, I realized I did like, there were aspects that I liked, but it kind of got, uh, kind of got destroyed for me in, in that uh, Nortel plummet. That's unfortunate. Did yeah. you go directly from Nortel to doing your own work for people or did you take time off? No, I, it took me so long to find a job outside Nortel that when I jumped out, I finally just jumped to a technical writing job. And I mean, I think because I'm a creative person, I could always do both. I think there are people who can't do both. There are people who, who couldn't document and, and didn't like it, but I loved it and loved to write and stuff like that. So luckily I did have that. And that was my way out. So when I left Nortel, I went and worked as a contractor at EDC, just doing te uh, technical writing. But then right away, I got sick. So you know that I left my insurance. I left. I must have had cancer when I left Nortel, right? I mean, it was it was like three months later when I got my diagnosis, and I must have had cancer when I left Nortel and all my friggin' insurance. But I had nothing for insurance when I was diagnosed, but oh well, whatever. That's that's horrible, and yeah. you know that's the big thing that is probably going to you know that we're going to talk about through all of this is you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Yeah. And how long ago was that? It was eleven years ago. Okay. Are you doing well now? Yes, I'm doing well. Okay, thank you. So let's <laughs> let's put an endpoint on that story yeah. <laughs> for the people listening. So. I love hearing these stories, like not the, you know, I, I think just being able to hear how people have found themselves and have found a way out and have found a way forward and being able to share that openly with others. And I think, you know, it takes, I think some, some degree of courage to do what you did and share what you've done in, in doing your doodles um, and your drawings for so long. And 
having that battle with cancer that you won against. I, I think people need to hear these stories. And so I do want to, I wanted to make sure people were clear that you're in a good place now. But, you know, having that news changes everyone's life. And, you know, as you say, if you're outside of life insurance, that's, you know, the financial bit of, of undergoing this, this kind of. Uh, I had actually bought challenge. life insurance. I had bought life insurance, but they, there was a loophole. And, uh, yeah, I didn't find out till half, like six months later. But anyway, yeah, that's another story. But yeah, and I had an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I, and I had been the main breadwinner at that time as well. So wow. yeah, it was a dark time. Yeah, I was going, I don't want to go too much into it, but you know, it, that was my next question is, is how old were your kids at the time? Because that's, that's a challenging conversation to have. And, you know, it's, it's a balance between how much you tell and how much you keep yeah. and making sure that their mental wellness is, is, is good moving forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's a that the picture that you shared in the story, and I'll link to the CBC story that they did on you. But uh, you know, your daughter doodling on your chest, I think, is just it's wonderful. Like mm-hmm. it's you know, it it talks about a moment in time, but it that connection and and being able to even find that you know some degree of joy, some degree of connection around such a such a difficult event is uh is is good it's tough because i you know i lost my mom to cancer when i was 17 so i always when i hear about these challenges that the people have thrown at them out of nowhere right um in dealing with cancer or heart disease whatever the case but specifically cancer hits me pretty hard i i think we need to maybe explore kind of where where do you go with that like when you were told that you have breast cancer what happens with things like i i assume that career and everything just disappears and you focus on this and there must have been a period of time a year 18 months where it was really really challenging trying to get through things right like that must have been yeah it was i mean i kept working for the first bit until after my first chemo it's a surreal thing right when you when something like when something big happens to you it's a really surreal thing because it, it's not what you imagined it would feel like at all. I mean, I know like this is totally off topic, but I can, it's okay. <laughs> you know, after all that hell, which I can remember now that I stirred that up poison through my body thinking about Nortel, I can remember when I, I, got the, I got the news on the phone and I was at work and I was just running between meetings. This was like when I was a technical writer. It's not what you would think, right? Like, I got the news, and of course I was devastated. But I remember thinking, good, I get the afternoon off work. You know, like, it's it's not what you would think, right? So uh, looking back on it, I'm shocked to see that that very weekend, we we had planned to take the train to Quebec City as a family. We'd been looking forward to it long t- for a long time. It was a surreal thing where I'm going on a holiday, you know, with my little kids, and it's just all a jumble then right away it was uh um uh halloween and so you know we're making halloween costumes and we're doing halloween decorating we're doing all the halloween stuff and so you're you're forging on with your life and doing all the things you would normally do and in just this surreal state like just um so we just kind of made our way through it you know it's looking back on it i i feel like i was kind of protected by some mental state that just allowed me to float through it all. Like, I don't even think I cried the day I got the news, you know? It's just, you get into this weird, I mean, I've heard someone say it's grace, and it kind of, I think it kind of is. I didn't even have to take any kind of medication to go through all those millions of tests, which I hear people since then always have to take medication to go through, like, these little tiny machines and all this kind of stuff. I think you just get into a, a, a weird, surreal bubble where... You can't relate to anyone outside your own little circle, and life just chugs along, you know. But the, like I said, um, I probably in that piece, the it's the little things that become the big things, and your focus changes, and your whole perspective changes, and you can't remember. You know, I can remember people coming over to visit me and stuff, and they all had like a future, and they had plans and I never had any plans after that day for it took me so long to go back to plans like I wouldn't think of buying anything like I remember when I bought a pair of gloves it was like it was a big deal it was much later like a year and a half later because I thought oh wow I'm gonna live I guess I 
Right. You know. Yeah, I would never even think of that, but that's a, I can feel myself pulling into that yeah. state, right? It took a long time to get out of that. I could feel it in my perspective like a filter, and I could feel when that was was uh, fading as well, the first few steps out of it, and you have sort of um, superstitiousness, like, do I want to venture back into the land of the living? You know, like, is this being cocky? You know, it's it's weird. It's not something I can remember. Like, I could never go back into that, um, like, intentionally go back into that sort of outlook, but I can really clearly remember the distorted way of, of living and how everyone else, I could see other people living in the normal way, and I just knew that I used to live that way too. Anyway, it's, uh, it, was a weird, it was a weird time, and I'm very, very glad that I made it through it. So it was buying the gloves that where you kind of accepted that... Well, that was the first thing that I did. I remember thinking, I remember that's the first thing that I bought, and I can remember feeling that was a really big deal. Uh, that's, yeah. uh, and that was a year and a half after you were diagnosed? Yeah, something. I don't remember that. I don't know. It was a long time. It was a long time later. And when did you get a sense that things were on a, on, on a good track? Was it that point, or was it later on? Yeah, it's very that? slow. It's just very, very slow. You know, like, I w- went back to work after a year, Oh, not quite a year. I went back to work and I worked for eight months and it was just, it was a lot. And one day my husband just said, after eight, eight months, my husband said, it's not worth it. Just quit. Like it, the work was no problem. It was, it, your perspective changes because it's this weird stuff that's going on between people and, and political stuff and all this kind of stuff. And like, I worked so hard to stay alive and it was just, my husband said, you know, just quit. I'll take care of things. And I thought, when I quit, I thought, you know, I don't want to waste my last year sitting in a cubicle with, like, toxic work environment going on around me. And then, little by little, as time went on and on and on, then I'm realizing, wow, I'm still alive. I was not expecting to be alive. I've got to change the way I'm thinking about things, you know. And now it's been 11 years, so, yeah. You know, it's never out of your mind. When I I was going through my treatment... It was, there was a quote that we, we went back to over and over again. Well, I'll tell you this. My husband, we did our podcast. I know it's all over the place. I haven't talked to anyone in about eight months, okay? I warned you about this, so I'm not very coherent. But when we did the podcast, when I got my diagnosis, my husband sent emails to like all the authors and illustrators that we had interviewed and been in touch with over the years and asked them to um, just phone in a little quote, a little good thing, and he put them all on CDs for me. And there was one quote. Well, the, fir- the very first quote that came in, by the way, was a phone call from Henry Winkler, which I cherish a lot. Oh, no. Uh, awesome. It was awesome. He even gave me a kiss, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> but one of them was uh, an illustrator who had been through cancer, and he said, there will come a day when you don't think about cancer all day long. Like, all day long, you don't think about cancer. And That really, we went back to that quote a lot because it's hard. It's just so all-consuming. And I still haven't got to that day. I haven't even got to like that hour yet all these years later. But, you know, I'm living the high life and having a great time. It's just, yeah. Well, I'm sorry if talking about the past has ruined it for today. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate you sharing that. That's... um... Yeah, that's a wonderful, uh, yeah, I think that's where you'd want to get with all of it, right? Yeah. Is, uh, yeah. And I don't, I mean, the thing is, with, with my mom passing away so young, I don't remember much of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, back then, this is 84, cancer treatment was was not like it is now. Yeah. And um, it was mostly surgical, and, uh, you know, it was it was much, much more challenging, right? So I don't really have any lessons from that. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It really, I mean, one thing I... I loved for my kids at that time was that they we had been helping people who had cancer before that you know we had been taking care of another family and being there for them so my kids had seen that aspect of helping other people in the community but one big thing that came out of the cancer experience was my kids got to see on the other end like all the people taking care of us you know the different communities that we had you feel the the net when you're in trouble that you don't feel when you're just trucking along your life. And it was, I think it was good for my kids that they got to see the different communities and how the different communities were there for us. 
and and I think that backstory is important when we get into talk about Gruntled and everything that you're doing around that. Before we get into that, I wanted to go back to the podcasting. So you're on a podcast now as a guest, but you did you've done a few of these, haven't you, as as a host? Yeah. So do you want to talk about that journey and maybe when that started and why why did you start podcasting? Yeah, so I'm a major big time introvert who married a major big time extrovert. And so my husband was is Mark Blevis and he you know, when he was young, he was always into wanting, he worked on some radio this and he did like DJing and, you know, he's like this kind of person can be left for any length of time without talking to somebody, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. as soon as podcasting was a thing or maybe even before he was in that, so he'd be up on the third floor and he'd be doing these whatever coming down and seeing how many people around the world were listening to him and stuff. And I just thought this was the stupidest thing I could think of. And (laughs) we had little tiny kids, you know, like, you know, we have parenting to do, right? And so that's the last thing I was interested in. But then he'd been doing it for a year or so, and he planned a get-together of all the podcasters, all the people that were podcasting. They were all, like, in in those days, all the podcasters listened to all the podcasters, you know, so... There were few enough of them that they were all like each other's biggest fans. You and, know? and this, and so perspective, what year was this? 2005. Okay. Yeah. And so then in 2006, they planned um, the first kind of get together. And it was supposed to be a barbecue or supposed to be a camping trip or something. And then Mark was like, no, no, we're going to make it into a conference. So, so in Kingston in uh, June of 2006, we went to this podcasting conference, you know, and all of these people were so excited because they knew each other so well by their voice and they were, all f- they, were all st- they were all so excited to meet each other and it was just like a big hug fest and everybody was loving everybody else and everybody was excited and, ev- and all these people, you know, people who podcast, that's the thing about podcasters is they're super passionate. Like they, it's like they, it's like they don't ever give up that wonder they all are passionate about something and podcasting is just the way they talk about it right so you know there's a nice big wide group of uh, interests but they all have the podcasting thing in common they're all super creative they're all a lot of them introverted a lot of them super introverted you know and quirky and and just so happy to be together and so the sessions were really, ins- the sessions were just like the podcasters would get up and talk about something and it was a big love fest and really super in- interesting and so inspiring, you know? So then on the way home from that, I was like, okay, I want to do a podcast. And at the <laughs> time I was crazy, crazy, crazy about uh, children's books. So I was like, I want to do a podcast, but there's nothing that I know about, you know, I don't know about anything. And then since I'm not a male and I'm not extroverted, I won't get up and talk about something unless I know, right? So, but I do know what I love. And so I said, hey, why don't we just go to the coffee shop? So do you know the Wild Oat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we would drop off the kids at uh, daycare, go to the p- coffee shop, have our coffee, which we were already doing anyway. And then we would just have a chat, chat about one of our favorite children's books with just our lapel mics here, you know? Mm-hmm. And then just throw it onto the internet. So we did that. And we did that and did that and did that. That was our whole life for three years. We did that. We, we just had the best time. And, you know, Nortel was tanking like crazy and work was super stressful. And it really, it just kills your soul to be going through something like that. And everyone around you is going through something like that too. And it was just so, such a lifesaver that I was Andrea from Just One More Book. Like I, I was a different person, you know, like I had a different life besides these like 12 hours a day that I had to work or whatever. I just had, like, I would stay up super late and edit and, and do all the, all the prep, preparation stuff. And anyway, we started doing interviews and um, with authors and illustrators. We started to travel to, to spend time with these authors and illustrators. We, it was just like nobody knew what podcasting was in those days. And so it was just like rushing out into a whole new world like we were in all kinds of magazines and we were we we were in newspapers and we were in highly regarded blogs and it was such a trip you know we and we so we would travel and meet with other people that were into children's books as well as authors and illustrators and it was like 
it was really fun for our kids too, you know, because it was we were with our kids. We were still just doing the normal stuff, which was nonstop reading of children's books. So yeah, right. And so, how many uh, podcasts did you end up doing before you stopped for that podcast? For how that many one, episodes? Yeah. Um, how many episodes? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was more than 600 anyway. And then we also did a really cool um, video series where we went and traveled down. We stayed with some really big stars of the, of the children's book world, authors and illustrators, and we interviewed them. And that was called Rock Stars of Reading. And I think there were 21 of those too. And, that was, and it was really, really nice, you know, because in those days, no one knew what podcasting was. And the authors and illustrators who'd been around forever were just tickled and they were just so grateful to just hear normal people sitting in their own environment just saying how they felt about their books about their work and how it affected them and their family and so you know sherry fitch you know we she's like a rock star and she was you know so grateful she spent she you know she she really really appreciated what we were doing not just for her but for everyone you know and Within those three years, it changed, though, because everyone started podcasting. The publishers started treating us like we worked for them, you know, and it's not the way we intended it to be in, in the end. But in the beginning, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really magical. It's amazing to see your, your face light up when you yeah, talk about it. That yeah. must have been a great time. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, was great. And you did other podcasts as well? I did other podcasts, but nothing as, you know, life-changing as that. I just did other podcasts yeah so when did you stop doing the podcast like how many years ago was that 11 just uh, when i was going through my cancer thing i stopped it was just too much it took six weeks right six weeks of complete torment from when i found the lump to when i got my diagnosis so that was just yeah that was that was a lot yeah that must have been and have you felt a need or an interest in going back to it ever well i like having a project to do with mark you know that's super fun we did something for a while that involved some podcasting, but uh, I probably won't podcast again, not unless I suddenly become really good at something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the thing, is, is finding something that uh, you can bring to people. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Unless you do what I did, and that is, you know, I wasn't particularly great at art, but I think I've gotten better. Oh, really? So, I didn't yeah. look, I should look and see how good your art was before you started, because the 40, <laughs> unless you did your episodes years apart. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it was a year ago May that I started. So, oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, it's you know I think that podcasts. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there right now. Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, no, I don't think so. I didn't really listen to podcasts when I did podcasts either. Of course, that I didn't have any time. No, it sounded like that was a busy schedule. And it was yeah. 600. That's that's a lot. Yeah, and I think you know obviously with the freedom to travel and meet with people in person back then, that was. Uh, that, that must have been great. I, you know, I don't know what post-COVID will look like, but uh, at some point maybe we'll get back to something. Yeah. But so let's get let's get to talking about the drawing that you're doing because I think that's a really exciting idea. And you call it Gruntling. Gruntled. Oh yeah, Gruntling. That's why. Yeah. Is is, is what you call it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what Gruntled meant until I I went looked up online and realized oh. It's the opposite of disgruntled. Yeah, of I didn't know. I didn't even know there was a definition. I just thought, well, it's the opposite of disgruntled, and I thought I made it up. But anyway, <laughs> and I, I wasn't sure if it was an interpretation of a word in a different. Like I didn't know when I first saw it, and then I looked up and it's like, well, of course that makes sense. <laughs> okay. But I'll credit you with the uh, with creating it. So, <laughs> so I wanted to. So when did this start? And actually, maybe we should explain what this is and maybe how it started. And I'll let you do that. I think this is cool. So I, I went back. Well, you gave me some of those questions the other day. And mm-hmm. so I kind of went back through my Facebook and to see the different things that I'd done cartoon-wise. And I, you know, just thinking about the, the past. And, and I saw that in 2013, okay, in 2013, I had, someone had seen this like Jenna Marbles draw my life. Have you seen that? No. It's where you take a whiteboard and you tell a story of your life and you just draw like stick figures to represent the story of your life. Okay. So in 2000, I really wanted to do that. I saw that and I really, my daughter was watching Jen, uh, Jenna Marbles and I really wanted to do, to do it. So I took a, a book and I started just kind of planning the doodles 
what I would do to do to draw my life, but I didn't do it. And then in 2018, I was cleaning up or something and I opened up this book and I saw all these doodles and there was no explanation of what they were. So I just did a video of myself where I was looking at all these doodles and I was trying to interpret those doodles and see how it told the story of my life. Well, then three weeks after that, I had this great idea to do Gruntled. So looking back now, I think it was probably inspired by looking at those doodles that were drawing out the first like 25 years of my life. So I think, you know, that must have been in my mind Mm -hmm. because it seemed to me that on April 24th, 2018, I just suddenly got this idea that every day I would draw a little doodle to represent a bit of joy from the day before. Right. I think it's a great idea. (laughs) So that's what I've done. (laughs) And how many have you done now? I've done 967. (laughs) So for the person listening right now, I'll provide links and they can see your work um, at gruntold.ca, I think is the URL. And, but these are line art. Yeah. Not overly complicated. And just like stick figures, right? Yeah, I, I think they've gotten away from stick figures. Like you, I see that comparison of oh, the yeah. stuff you did early and the stuff you're doing now. And what I think is fun when you go to the website is there is like a, it's not just an image. There's like, you add another layer to it, right? So when you mouse over, you see what that represents, but there's, you've added something else to the image, right? It's almost like an animated GIF, but there's only like another layer or something yeah. like that, right? And and some of these are fairly simple. Like I... <laughs> I saw one I was flipping through and I saw one was French toast. Yeah. <laughs> and my daughter was having a leftover French toast for lunch today. And I was, I just thought that's great. Well, French toast to... is pretty good. <laughs> it's, it is pretty good at all times of day. Like it's uh breakfast for dinner with French toast is yeah. awesome. So, you know, it could be, it, it's small things like that, right? Oh, Where yeah. it is yeah. just when you go to your site and you go to the Gruntlings section of that site, you have them categorized as well. So you have them tagged within WordPress, I guess. And that makes it more exciting because you can go look up all the different terms. You know, you can look up, let's say your husband or you could CBC or something else and, uh, or bike, uh, because biking is a big part of your life (laughs) as well. And you can find, and and they bring them up and they're just, it's wonderful to see this. Like, I think we need, (laughs) everybody needs to be doing this in some way, shape or form. And this idea of having an artistic journal. I mean, there's a lot of artists that that have a, a creative journal. Um, I had one on a recent podcast, and she does a nature journal, right? So much more complex, uh, much more time, and still very meaningful, but a different focus. And I think what's what I love about what you're doing is it's positive, and I think it's accessible. Yeah. And so for the person listening who's thinking about ramping up their creative endeavors and maybe are stuck on something, maybe this approach would be kind of fun for a week, a month, a year, 967 days. (laughs) So in doing this, have you noticed its effect on you? Oh, yes, for sure. Do you find now that you're like into today, for example, that you're thinking about what am I going to do when I draw tomorrow? Like, are you categorizing? Are you looking for those positive things every day? Yeah, it changes the way you look at things, right? So I'm a programmer, right? So a programmer, what do you do? You always think about what can go wrong. You always think about what did go wrong. You're always thinking of all the permutations and combinations of of all the factors all the time, right? So this, and you're not thinking about if something went super, super well, whatever, you move on to the next thing, right? I think, it, I don't know, I think that's why I was good at programming. But this makes you, because it's fun and because you know you're going to do it every single day, you do look at things differently. And as you're making your way through your day, I will have this nice little, this n- nice little light idea that bobs around in the back of my head, sort of like, will this be my Gruntle tomorrow? Will that be my Gruntle tomorrow? Or... How will I ever pick what will be my gruntle tomorrow? This is so good, you know, like that, that kind of thing. And in little things that that go right, that might just go right and you might just move on. Because when a little thing goes right and you have that idea like, oh, this is going to be my gruntled, it makes you hang on to it just a little bit longer because you have that little bit of joy 
and then you have the other little bit of joy that this could be my gruntled and then you hold on to it longer because you're th- you start to think about that you put more focus you put you just naturally without having to think about it, you know without having to make yourself do it you put more emphasis on the little positive thing that happens because of that so right yeah because you've also added to your site the 10 gifts of gruntling which I, I think is is great because you're enabling people here with some direction right yeah because i didn't plan it i like I said, when I decided to do it, it was just a random idea, and I didn't know how much good was going to come out of it. And like those are 10 significant things that you can get out of just doing Gruntled every single day. And it doesn't even have to, I mean, it could just be so super quick and such a super bad drawing, and you still get all 10 of those things, and those are big things. And you're not asking, like if people are talking to you about this, you don't have to share it on social media or whatever the case. This could just be you in a journal. Yeah, actually, when I was in the CBC, people on Instagram contacted me and said, you know, could you put them on Instagram? Because I'm never going to remember to go to a website and I would like to see them. So I did for a bit. And then I was like, this is no fun. I hate it. Like, it's my own little private thing. When I put it on Gruntled, nobody even knows it's me. My name's not on there anywhere. And nobody, I've got all the comments turned off. There's no way to say you like it or you hate it or or I don't even know if, it's not like Just One More Book. When we were doing Just One More Book, we were watching those stats go up, 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 right? right? But this, as far as I know, no one ever goes there, right? So it's really, really nice for me I because I don't know maybe people are going there. You know, I don't want to skip a day. What if I skipped a day because maybe somebody's going there and I'll, you know, I have to be accountable. But yeah, it's it's just between me and my nice little website, you know? And so, I mean, I do share them on my Facebook as part of, you know, my, my Facebook is kind of like my diary, you know, so I might right. share it with my friends on Facebook, but it's not just like Instagram was like this cold place where people said, you know, I don't like it. I like it, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I just finished Inktober and Inktober, you draw something every day and you share it Okay. Um, with ink. And, you know, you do get into that, oh, it's, you know, does it get 30 likes? Does it get 60 likes or whatever the case, right? And then you start thinking, well, does that mean what I'm doing isn't good, right? And this is a battle that all artists have when you start sharing your yeah. your work through uh, through social media. But I do like your approach, and and you're right. Your name isn't anywhere on the site, but it's it's a really wonderful way to flip through it and just see these things that have brought joy to you. Even looking through someone else's, through yours, I'm looking through this and I'm thinking, I remember doing that. I remember, you know, French toast, <laughs> and so it's just wonderful flipping through it. And you know, some of the you know, some of the gifts you talk about are things like, you know, obviously noticing the good and, you know, that kind of scanning the day that you're doing, right, is obviously a very positive thing. But even things like a job done, like, you know, that it is, it's nice to have things checked off your to-do list, right? And being able to have something like this that you can say, regardless of all the work I don't get done today, if I can at some point today check this off and say, I got my drawing done, uh, is kind of fun. Yeah. And the continuity, you know, like, it's just nice to have something. It feels good to keep at something, not let yourself down, I guess. It's just you feel if that continuity feels really good. Right. And the bar isn't really like when you do something like Inktober, it can get quite, you know, you could spend two or three hours in a drawing. And the bar on this is not that that high that yeah. there's you no can bar. Find time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just slot the time in and. I think above all, it it does force you to kind of reflect on the day as you're going through it and obviously the day behind you. And and when you draw it, like when I, when I go to draw it, I mean, I'm scan, I scan during the day. I mean, not all day long, every day, but you know, it's there. It's a filter that I'm looking at things through, even if I'm not aware of it. The next day I rescan the day. So you might forget how great your day was. Like no matter, it's funny how sometimes the next day I think, what am I going to do? And then I realized, oh yeah, the best thing on earth happened yesterday. And how did I forget? You know, but it's true. It's nice to have the scan. It's then again, it's nice to have the next day scan again, find the good things. Sometimes it's really, really hard to find the good things. And sometimes it's, there's a lot. Um, but then, then when you're thinking about, okay, how did it feel? I mean, that is really important when you think about how did it feel? Because it's not just like, you know, I'm grateful that I have food. I'm grateful that I have a house. You have to, in order to draw something, 
it to, in order to communicate how it made you feel, you have to re refeel it, right? It's just you have to. Yeah. It's just, and it's so. Then you think, did it make me feel like this? Did it make me feel like that? And you're feeling it again, and it's really important. Like it really, it really does train your brain. You know, this whole Rick Hansen, he has all kinds of books, and it's just about that. You know how we have that human negativity bias, and we, in order to survive, our brain sticks onto bad things like Velcro and our brain is like Teflon for good things and that's just the human negativity bias and in order to counter that you have to practice like it just maybe you're a lucky person it just came to you and you're not like everyone else but through evolution this is how we ended up and if you want to change it you have to repeat and refeel and hold on and so that refeeling is really important and then then when you're thinking about how you're going to draw it, then again, you're spending more time. How did it feel and how did it look? And what what is the big thing that I can draw to represent this? Even if it's just this, a, a really silly drawing, you're still thinking those things. And then, and then, of course, you take the time. And while you're focusing on doing it, you're happy, right? Because you're not thinking about anything else that may be bothering you. So you're present and you're happy. And then you either... You know, sometimes I don't even know how I did that. Like sometimes it's like a miracle happened. It's so good, you know, and I really feel like, where did that come from? I don't know. I didn't even plan it. You know, I was thinking about all those things and then there you go. And that feels great. But sometimes it feels like, oh man, hopefully I do a better one tomorrow because this is complete garbage. (laughs) But you still feel good that you did it and put it up and yeah. So people talk about habits and how long it takes to develop habits. How long was it for you when this became a habit for you that you didn't have to really pressure yourself or think about it too much? Well, I remember at first I would say like, I've done 10 days, you know, like yippee. And I'd put on Facebook, look, I just did 10 days. So I think at that time I probably didn't think I was going to do it that long because I, you know, I was so happy about 10, but that probably stopped. I don't know. I couldn't, I can't really say how long, but I just... You know, like when I got to 30 days, I was still saying like, yippee, I got to 30 days. I guess just somewhere between 30 and 100, I guess, I probably just thought, okay, this is what I do now. And I think science probably would would say that's about how long it takes to develop a new habit. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. So that's that's interesting. I think um, these are just so fun to flip through. I I think I'm going to have my daughters take a look at them as well, because I think it's such a great way to journal your life, right? Do you find yourself looking back at number 110? I find myself, well, you know, if I'm going to, you know how you said when you hover over, you uh, yes. there's a different picture. So often those are just pictures from the past, right, that I put as a layer just to kind of further explain the story sort of thing. I do look back for that reason. And so many times when I look back, I'm surprised at what's there. I'm surprised at... I'll draw a picture that I thought I've never drawn before and I'll look back and there's exact same pictures somewhere else. Or I'll, uh, now I have it divided so each page is three weeks and I can never believe how time is that, you know, the time is just weird. That how could that be within the last three weeks? How could that still be there? Or how could this wonderfully exciting thing be within those last three weeks and I've already kind of forgotten about it, you know? And Or sometimes I'll know that something really bad was happening at that time and I'll look and I'll see there was some, there was always positive things, you know, there's always, there's still always positive things. So, I mean, I do look back and I like to look back at, you know, fun things I've done. I have it, I have a way of looking at it so I can just see like all my, when all the family's together, now that, now that we're empty nesters, that happens less and less often. So I can look back and see like fun things we've done in this family. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really good tool for mental health just to, get some perspective. Well, it's good that you had a few hundred under your belt before the pandemic hit, because that must have had, like, has it had a real positive effect, or at least sustaining your mental wellness through oh, yeah. the pandemic? Yes, for sure. When I started into the lockdown, I would label each image that, you know, social distancing in 2020 and that's, that makes me laugh now because, I mean, we're still in it, right? I mean, I thought it was going to be three weeks, so I thought I better label this, you know, because this is a really wild three weeks. And now the label seems silly. But yeah, it was good during that lockdown time in the spring where we were all so freaked out because, uh, I, you know, you went from having pack, 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 pack days doing stuff 
everywhere all the time to just sitting in your house. And I think that the structure and the forced finding of positives, you know, had to help. Did you find that there was a lot of thought about pandemic and then they became more normal gruntlings? <laughs> after <laughs> or that? Gruntles, I guess. Yeah, after that. Did it, did, you know, at some point you must have got back to a point where it's like, well, today is biking and today yeah. is French toast, right? Yeah. Well, when I got my bike out, that was fabulous because everyone was riding their bike around the city and I didn't know we were allowed to. And I was just kind of grumbling because I wanted to ride my bike. Once I got my bike out, I was free. But, you know, I that's all I've done It's just ride my bike and stay within these four walls. I mean, that is literally all I've done. So the gruntles are not that expansive since the <laughs> lockdown. And so what do you use to create these? Like this, is this in a journal book and are you using pencil and pen? So how do you, what are your tools to create your, your version? Uh, yeah, I have a pencil and eraser and the book is just a really like Michael's book that I have had had at the time. And so I've bought, I'm on, I think I'm on my fourth book. But, and just like these pens. Oh, the Micron. Yeah, uh, Micron. Pen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fairly simple. Yeah. <laughs> and always a stock, right? You don't want to run out of what on a day and uh, and not have a pen to work with, right? But Yeah, um, I haven't had to change them very often. I've had problems with a couple of them, but you find a good one. They last for so long. And how do you feel that your art has changed? Because when I look at it in the CBC article, you can see it, but you can see some of the art that you do now and it's it's really quite complex and it's far beyond kind of what I would call stick figures. Do you feel that you've improved? Uh, yeah, I feel like I've improved. I feel like I've lost a bit of my little spunky characters that I used to draw. Like I, I still draw them. Like when I'm just sitting around, I still draw them. When I doodle just on paper while I'm doing something else, they're cuter when I just do them spontaneously on other places now, you know, because... I find that ones on Gruntled aren't aren't as free and as cute as they as they could be, but because I do them with pencil first, right? Right. I do pencil and then I do over it with pen and then I erase it all and then I do okay. some shading. But I feel like my eyes been trained better. You know, my hands are still shaky and stuff like that. But I I feel like I'm more. I have the analytical part of it is improving and my patience is improving. You know, so where before I would never try to draw certain things because I just, you look at something and you just kind of freak out and just, I don't know where to begin drawing that. And there are still lots and lots of things that are like that for me. But now because I've drawn for 900 days in a row, I think I'm better at seeing what I have to draw. And I think I'm better at just patiently taking a few more steps and not, you know, not giving up. You've had those really good things that you've wanted to draw possibly, but they're just too complex, <laughs> too too much to take on. So there's more good things that have happened that you've wanted to draw possibly. Oh yeah, I always have to I like sometimes a super super great thing will happen, but I can't draw it so it doesn't go in my gruntle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or sometimes I can't think of a way that I would represent it in one doodle. Also, what do you do? Have you had days where it's been hard to think of something good that happened yesterday? Oh, yeah, of course. And I've... What do you do? What do I do? I just, I do food. <laughs> <laughs> Food's always good. Yes. Yay, French toast. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Can you think of one or two that you're really quite proud of? Yeah, I really liked when we were in lockdown, I just started drawing and I ended up drawing. I wanted to represent having patience and just this feeling of you're just in this holding pattern and it's just that nutty nutty feeling of when we're all stuck in the house and we've already watched all the tv possible you know and you just have to be patient and without planning or doing anything i just drew myself lying in my pajamas on a hourglass but the hourglass was on its side right so time's not moving at all and you i was lying in there and when i finished it i was like where did that even come from i don't know but that to me that was like Thank God I have patience because this is it, you know, and it, it represented it really well. So that's, yeah, that was one that stands out to me. Oh, that's a, that's a brilliant idea. So I'm going to, I'm going to link directly to that one in the, in the show notes as well. Can you so do that? that? Can, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I'll okay. figure, I'll, I'll figure out a way. I mean, either we, if I can link directly to that page, okay. I'll do that. Okay. Or um, if you send me the image, I can uh, link directly. I can embed that in the show notes okay. and link directly to that. But uh that would be good, for, I think, for people to see. That That sounds like a really uh, a, a fun idea. Mm. Yeah, very creative. Do you think 
you'll ever stop? Well, I'm old and my hand is, when I started, you know, when I started, I was like, oh my God, I totally took for granted that I could see and that I could move my hand, you know, and that was when I started. I realized, oh, I have to wear like little tiny glasses like this. I mean, I, I have trifocals, which they don't work. And my opt- optometrist told me, you know, if they don't work, there's something wrong with you. And so I never went back. But they, I can't wear my trifocals for drawing. Um, I have to wear these little glasses from like the paper, you know, reading glasses. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I would like to keep doing it. But my eyes and my hand have to keep working. I don't know how close we are in age. I'm, I'm 53. And, I'm 55. Okay. And uh, I always talk about feeling old and rickety and <laughs> things don't work like they used to. And I used to mountain bike a lot. I know you, you cycle and it's like it hurts a little bit now. <laughs> And then I, I did an interview earlier this year with uh, the Canadian artist uh, Robert Bateman, who turned 90 in May. Whoa. And to hear that he's still creating, it's like, wow. I'm not old. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I keep saying, you know, that, you know, my hands feel like I've got arthritis sometimes or whatever the case. And it's like, you know, Bateman's at 90 and he's still painting. So wow, that's great. <laughs> so I, I hope you keep doing this because I, I think... Um, I do agree with the benefits of all of this. And I, I really like, do you, do you know people who've tried this and have done it for themselves? That have done it? No. But I, when it was on CPC, I saw in comments people saying they were going to do it. So uh, awesome. it'll be interesting to see if, you know, I ever find out if, <laughs> if people are actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's a great idea. I'm going to, uh, as I say, I'm going to share some of these with uh, with my daughters and you know I know my my youngest had a diary for the longest time a journal that she was doing and uh, I think this is such a fun way to look back on your day and, and once again as you say because the lens is positive looking for the good things um, I think that's great and it's accessible and you know this is a a drawing inspiration podcast and I, I think that what you're doing has both of those elements right you've got this drawing this creative element to it and you know, this motivation and inspiration by just looking back at your own life and no, no further back than yesterday and yeah. just trying to find the good things, right? I think that's, that's brilliant. And I do think that also, you know, speaking of being 55, I just, I love as a kind of side effect that I do think of myself as that little person, you know, like I, I feel like that's me, you know, that's the me that is not getting old, you know, that's the me that is on my bike and the way you feel on the inside and i mean it doesn't look like me in any way just like all the people that i draw they there's something that represents the person but i like it that you know they're the person they're not their age or whatever it's a a a nice little side effect it's fun i love that you did this i love that you've had the courage to talk about your story and uh, and share all this i think that's great and so I, i always ask my guests for some homework for the listener something that they could do that they could take away. And it may be obvious what it could be, but I, I want to give you the floor. And, and what do you think the listener could try to help kind of move their creative journey forward? Well, I mean, just doing this daily, this uh, little doodle to represent a bit of joy each day. I didn't know you were going to let me do that as the homework. So I, the other homework that I had in mind was the one that kicked it all off, which is that draw my life, that draw my life whiteboard, which I didn't do with a whiteboard. And I think it was easier because I didn't do it with a whiteboard, but I think it really gets you thinking as well. So either one of those would be, would be good homework assignments. Yeah. I had to give you that one, that first one. Yeah. <laughs> it's obvious, <laughs> but I think that's great. I'll, I'll have to, um, I'll have to find a link about that. I think that drawing your life, cause I've, I mean, you get to an age where you think, you know, those stories, those lessons I've learned for years, those stories that I've told the kids about, will I forget them at some point? And, you know, you start thinking about, should I document my life a little bit? You know, some people write their own, you know, their own autobiography and that kind of thing. And I think just having art representing that is kind of cool. Like I've done drawings for my daughters and, um, but I've never really thought about this. And I think I'm going to explore this idea of, of drawing something from yesterday. I, I think that's, it's, it's so accessible. You could do it in 10 minutes if you wanted to. Yeah. You know, you find the materials that are in front of you and it could be 
a micron pen, it could be a ballpoint pen, right? It could be a pencil. You don't have any strict rules around this. Yeah. That uh, and putting it on the site, I think, helps. I I didn't I didn't realize it obviously at the time, but like you said, I have the tags on everything, so I can um, like I was able to tell that story, that CBC story. Mm-hmm. I because every there a lot of those days. It, it took um, like 150 days or something from the time that I first spoke to the CBC reporter to the time it actually came out. And so there were there were various days over that 100-day period where a bit of joy was to do with that story. And then when it was all over, I was able to just look at, like because there are tags, just look at the pictures to do with that story and see you know, it, it, it did it for me. It kind of strung them all together into a nice little story, which WordPress is good at. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think your site, when I first hit the site, it was like, what do I do here? And then I scrolled down and I just immediately got into it. It was kind of cool. I think you did a good job. I mean, Thank being you. a developer and being a creative, <laughs> it's you. a good combination. I think that's that's brilliant. So where can people find you then? The Obviously, gruntled.ca. yeah. And your 10 gifts for Gruntling are there in yeah. in the why. And the how is how to gruntle, which is really simple. <laughs> Maybe we should just explain that again. So how do you gruntle? How do I gruntle? As I go through the day, I keep an eye out for little bits of joy that I might want to gruntle. And then no matter how good the day is, no matter what kind of wonderful thing happens that day, I let the whole day go by because I am superstitious about that. And then the next day, the next day, I look back at the previous day, scan for joy. No matter how bad it is, I pick one thing. Then I think about that thing. I re-feel how it felt. I think about how I would represent it and just draw a simple little doodle to represent it. Then I notice how good I feel. And then I do it again the next day. Repeat. (laughs) That's very simple, yeah. I highly recommend it. I think that, uh, you know, for the person listening, I think if you can't do it yourself, uh, you may know someone who can, who would want to take this on. And I think sharing this uh, story would be good because there are a lot of people out there who want to draw, who want to be an artist, and maybe are finding this time difficult with the pandemic and or they may be going through um, cancer treatment or something, and this is a really accessible way for people to, uh, to to find the positivity and to to think about what they need to be thankful for, especially around this American Thanksgiving and heading into what's going to be a difficult holiday season for so many people. So I think uh, I'm so glad that you were able to make the time to come on the podcast and talk about your journey and Gruntled and everything else. It's well, been thank wonderful. You, Mike. Thank you, thank you, Andrea. Um, stay well. You too. Stay safe. And uh, thank you once again. I said it before, but thank you for having the courage to, to talk about your journey, to share your stories, and for being on the podcast. Thank you. Show notes, including links to everything Andrea and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 41. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the newsletter on the website and share the podcast with someone you know. You can find links to the Patreon for the show and all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Until next time, be kind to one another and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.